the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. And now here's your host, Steve Teal. All right, Steve Teal, Very Bold Radio and Podcast. I'm so excited. I got a co-host my son, David Teal, who on video is throwing back his head. If you're listening <laughs> on a podcast or a radio station, you can't, you have to picture that. But I'm so excited. I've got him as co-host today. He um, has brought along a guest that I just can't wait to hear his story of uh, this, just a testimony that's going to bring glory to God. And it's going to encourage you. It's going to inspire you. Um, and that's going to be Henry Jarju that's along with us. If you're watching the video, you see him right there. And I'm going to turn it over to my co-host for at least this part to introduce Henry and tell us what's going on. Take it, David. Nice. Thank you. Thank you, Steve Teal. Uh, yeah today uh today we have a very very special guest and uh uh, it's really special to me as well and that's because this is henry jarju uh who has been one of my my close friends now for the last three years wow uh, which has uh been quite fun we we first uh just crossed paths uh a little bit as uh, yeah, I, I work with YWAM Youth with a Mission in, in Amsterdam. Uh, I work with one of the Bible schools here, and he he came and joined YWAM uh, to do a discipleship training school. And from that point, we just crossed, crossed paths a couple times and just had a couple conversations. But then over the next, uh, the next uh, year or so, then we got to um just know each other a bit more uh he then joined YWAM where he worked with uh, a couple of different ministries um and then after that he actually joined uh the bible school that uh I'm a part of and get to get to lead and so for for a year then uh then we really got to know each other a lot as then uh he was part of the school so we spent just about every every day together for uh nine ten months which is quite crazy um, as we just go through go through the bible which was cool um since then uh that is now like uh six months ago or so since then now he is a part of uh several different ministries here in amsterdam uh where he uh just does so much and probably we'll go into it a bit bit later but he just does uh so much from uh, being part of ministries that deliver meals to people, being uh, part of mi- ministries that then work with uh, refugees. Uh, he's been part of ministries that work with homeless people. Uh, and now, actually, uh, Henry and I have been leading a soccer ministry uh, that uh, then uh, works with uh, just kids, kids from uh, 
uh, neighborhood here in Amsterdam, which has just been a lot of fun. It's uh, uh, soccer, of course, is one of my biggest passions. And for Henry, it's also one of his biggest passions. Uh, yeah, I'm very thankful to to have Henry here today also because with soccer being one of his biggest passions right now, or in like 30 minutes, is his favorite team, Arsenal, playing probably their uh, biggest match uh, of the year. Sure. And poor Henry, he committed to, uh, to doing the podcast, doing the radio, uh, way before he realized uh, the match was right now. So Henry, thank you so much for, for being here. As uh, I know that's not easy. Yeah, it's not um but yeah it's a pleasure to be here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. privilege yeah 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 Thank you for having me yeah yeah you're you're welcome and henry has just been uh yeah one, one of my closest friends and it, it's just been so so special to take part in his life uh and have him take part in my life as uh he just has an incredible testimony of um yeah how he came here in amsterdam and how god has uh, just been so so present in uh yeah in in his life and uh and we all go all into that but it's uh just such a such a blessing for me then to take part in in henry's life where uh he is just uh just so so humble before the lord as i uh, think about just what it means to fear the lord or be humble uh, before the Lord, I think just Henry Henry's life is one of the things that comes to mind, and um, yeah, his life already—I mean, his day-to-day -day life is already such a beautiful testimony of that. And then his, uh, yeah, just his lifelong testimony is also uh, beautiful uh, in that as as well. Um, cool. So, as uh, yeah, I as I've just gotten to know Henry over the years, then I thought, ah. Oh, Steve, my dad, getting to have uh, a podcast of just inviting different difference makers. Uh, I've just thought, oh, Henry is uh, just perfect for that, where he is just such a such a difference maker, um, and that is, uh, yeah, he is just such a difference maker in so many communities here in Amsterdam, and that is then also going to expand. Uh, to Italy, which uh, probably we'll ask more about later, um, but he is just such a such a difference maker. Um, so I thought, well, what better yeah. guest than uh, Henry to be able to just share about what God has done in in his life? Um, so I'm very excited, and I'm also excited because yeah. I'm uh, sitting to sitting right next to someone who. Uh, just went through a big celebration, and that's because Henry just got engaged uh, <laughs> to uh, yeah to yeah. his now fiance Imkia, who yeah. is a uh, uh, very uh, just fun uh, Dutch girl here, uh, and um, yeah, that's just exciting. So, when when did you get engaged? When? Yeah, um, that was um, this past Saturday. Okay, yeah. 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 So not even a full week. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was this, yeah. uh, did she know that you were going to propose? Or I don't I don't know how, like, was there a proposal? I don't know how it works over in Amsterdam or uh, how's it work? How'd you do it? 
share share briefly i mean yes. because his uh his proposal is pretty pretty amazing also in terms of his former bible teacher just makes me uh very very proud go, go on, yeah um actually she did not expect that um she did not know that i was proposing to her so um i think that was really um nice for me <laughs> and um yeah so i proposed to her this past saturday and then the family i'm living with here in the netherlands and then together with a friend of mine who has been a childhood friend of mine also here in the netherlands we are the people um who were there when i proposed to her so it was a dinner we um i and my friend planned just to honor the family i'm living here with but at the same time with the intention of proposing to her on that um very moment so then we prepared the dinner after making the dinner and everything and um yeah i proposed to her but then this is how it happens <laughs> so i came when everyone was on the table and i just god put it in my heart to share with them two stories from the bible mm. and then the first story was um about the um yeah the last supper jesus had with his disciples mm. so for me it was um it's like the last moment jesus had with his disciples after his death before his death and resurrection and then which came like um yeah because after his death and resurrection there was a new beginning for humanity for people there was restoration which god brought through the death and resurrection of jesus yeah. so then i shared the last supper um um story with them like before he died jesus spent this time with his disciples because this is what it means for him but after also for that came a new beginning so for me also that supper having it with them before i proposed to my girlfriend was like after this supper is going to be a new beginning hopefully oh, cool. yeah <laughs> that is cool which came to pass so that, that was the first that was the first um story god put in my heart to share with them and then the second one was um about abraham mm. sending his servant to go to to go and ask for um um to go and look for a daughter or a wife for his um um son isaac mm -hmm. and that is like for the servant to go to the um to his father's to abraham's country his land where where was laban living so then when the servant went and then prayed to god before going and then ask for certain signs like god so favor to myself uh, to my lord abraham and grant me this woman this wife that i can bring for his son mm. so then god answered his prayers and then led, led him to the house of leban and then leban um accepted had the story but then the servant had to explain to leban like this is how i came to be here and this is how i end up in your house here that was also like that also happened um on the, the on the meal table and when he was offered the meal he told them that i will only accept this meal 
if you guys hear me out with the request I've come to you, and if you only allow me, um, yeah, if you can give me the answer to what I have requested from you, and that was a wife for my master. So for me, when I reached the part of that um, story, I stopped. Then I went and proposed to my girlfriend, going on my knees, of course. That Some is. Said yes, so which was, <laughs> which was um, what I was hoping for. And then, yeah, yeah, so that's how I proposed to her. That is that is next level. I love that, man. That is the way to do that. That is amazing. Yeah, very, very good. All right. Well, congratulations to you both. Um, and I, I love how you really thought about those stories. And then, man, she must have been so surprised when you, you know, kind of pivoted towards, will you marry me or whatever? That's amazing. How cool. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, do you want to now take us back? We haven't told people that where you're from originally. And my understanding is there's quite, quite a journey that you made. And I don't know exactly where you saw God at work or, or anything, but can you tell us just about where you grew up and um, how you decided to leave your country and just, just anything like where, where are you from? Start the story, Henry, unless David, you're thinking, uh, does that sound good? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, so I'm from, um, I'm originally from the Gambia. Yeah. And then the Gambia is a country that is found in Africa, west part of Africa, and is surrounded by Senegal on all the three sides. And um, the only side which is not surrounded by Senegal is um, the Atlantic Ocean. And um, yeah, I grew up from a Christian family background and also um, an extended family as well. And also the Gambia as a country, it's an Islamic dominant country. For example, like 90 to 92% of the population um, are Muslims. And for that being the case, um, yeah, majority of the people I grew up with were all Muslims, most of my friends as well. And even in my family, we have also like some of my family members are Muslims as well. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Was there, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Henry. So, like, um, I, I grew up from a Christian background, but still we, ha- we have both Muslims and Christians living together. So, yeah. Right. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Like, I know for me, like I grew up in a Christian household, um, but in a Christian family, but for me, for a long time, that was kind of a borrowed faith. You know, it was my parents' faith and I was learning, uh, from my mom, but, um, there was a certain point where I realized for myself, like I need, you know, I need something more. I'm missing something. There's this hole in my heart and I cried out to Jesus and over time it wasn't immediate, but over time he, um, he showed up and changed my life. And at that point for me, I knew I was a new creation and for me, everything changed. So I'm wondering, you grew up in a Christian household. Um, Do you have a point like that or is your story different? Yeah, so for me, I grow, um, mine is, my Christian background is Catholic. 
So then um, I was pretty much going to church like most Christians back home do. But then my relationship with God, um, it was not that very personal, I would say. And I didn't mm. take it seriously as I would take it today. Yeah. So yeah. But what um, helped me was before I left home, some of my brothers, most of them became um, born again Christians. Oh. So then already they were born again Christians, but then I was not a born again Christian then. I was a Christian just because I was born and raised from a Christian background. Right. Right. And that, so those brothers, they made a difference with you or? Yeah, I mean, they made a whole lot of difference with me. Yeah. A lot, a lot. Yeah, for me, um, yeah, they helped me even today in my relationship with God. But the differences they made with me back home was um, they stood for what they believe on when it comes to their relationship with God. Whilst for me, it was the other way around. I was more in the world. I was more looking for um, um, for vanity, for money, things that were completely against what the purpose of God meant for me in my life today as I came to understand it later in my journey and my relationship with God. Yeah, wow. So you, they, you could see a difference in their lives, your brother's lives back home in Gambia when yeah. they became born again, but you were still sort of living for yourself rather than God. Okay. All right. So um, tell us about, I mean, so you lived in Gambia from what age to what age? I don't even know what age you are now, Henry. What, how old are you? I'm 31 years old. Okay. 31. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So you're growing up in Gambia, you see your brothers become born again Christians, you see some sort of difference, but you're still, you know, living for yourself. Um, what what kind of happens next? Like, how long did you stay in Gambia before you decided it was time to leave? And why did you decide to leave? So, um, yeah, I lived in Gambia and I went to school. I went to um, high school. After high school, I went to college. I studied um, at college to become a teacher. I did college for three years. And um, so I left Gambia after I finished college. But then when I was at college, I was also doing my teaching practice at the same time. So that was um, the kind of um, college I went through where like during the, um, um, when schools are going on, then I'll go to the schools and teach at a primary school level. And then when school's holidays come, then I go back to college to study. So that was the um, college system I went through yeah. for three years. Then after the college, um, or should I say during when, when I was going at college, then people in Gambia, some of my friends, started um, to travel to come to abroad. But also, of course, me also growing up in Gambia, like most um Africans or most Gambian youths, their dream is to come abroad, Europe or America. So I was also um one of those people. So yeah. then I was going to college, but at the same time, I was also um hoping to come to Europe. But then at the time, because I came from an extended family, 
and there were a lot of challenges for me to travel to Europe, like especially financial wise. So, um, but the hope and the desire have always been in me one day to travel to come to abroad. Yeah. So at college, some of my friends started to travel and they were traveling through um, the journey across the Sahara Desert to go through the Mediterranean Sea to make it to Italy. Mm-hmm. That was um, around 2011 when the war happens to place in Libya. And then after the fight in Libya, when Gaddafi was um, overthrown, then the system in Libya was not stable at the time. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of things like human trafficking mm-hmm. going on, then people trying to smuggle to make it to Europe. So that was how I also um, came to, um, yeah, to to decide to leave the country and also try that journey as well. Right. I did that after I finished my um, three years at college, then I chose to leave the country. Right. Tell us, just back up a second, like tell us when you talk about a lot of kids in your country grow up dreaming of going abroad to Europe or to America, um, tell us why, why that is. I, I just don't know. Yeah, I think... Um, I think people, okay, for example, I can speak for more of like for myself, but sure. also considering the bigger context, I think people normally migrate or travel based on several reasons. Others travel because um, to look for a better future to other places. Others travel because maybe they they have like life um threatening in their countries. Mm. But for most people like me, my dream is just to come to Europe or to come to abroad because I believe it's better opportunities over there than in my country. That is why I personally choose to live at the time. Right. Even though nowadays, if I have to look back then. I'm grateful that I'm still alive and I'm grateful that I made it to Europe, but still there are so many things I would have decided in a different ways if I had known before then. But I feel like that is why many people choose to come to Europe because, or to come to abroad, because we believe there are better opportunities here, which in reality sometimes is not the issue. So that's what I came to realize and I came to learn along the journey. Right. Okay. So in along their journey at that point, have you become a born again Christian? Are you still just a uh, Christian, you know, in name, so to speak? No, I have become a born again Christian and I've come to, um, I've also been baptized and yeah, so I've, I've completely surrendered my life to God and I came to accept him as my Lord and Savior at a more personal um personal level yeah well i mean was that back when you were still in gambia so when i was in gambia i attended catholic so i was also baptized but i was baptized more of like um growing up as a in a catholic and a christian background right um it was just part of the church tradition for you to get baptized at some point in the church right then that was not a decision i took um 
um, because I felt convicted at the time. No, now right. I later on came to take to make that decision because I felt like okay, this is I I feel convicted that I want to get baptized and I want to do it for God and not because of my church tradition. Right, 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 right. So wh- where were you living? And then we're going to go back to your journey from Gambia. But where were you living when you finally made that decision to, you know, be born again? Where were you living? Was that also in Gambia? No. I okay. did when I came to Amsterdam during my school. Okay. Okay. All right. That's what I was trying to understand. I know you're uh, an amazing Christian now. I just was trying to piece together when, you know, you became born again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So tell us about your journey. I mean, it sounds like it was going to be a dangerous journey. Um, And so just tell us about that when you decide, okay, I'm going abroad. And what did that look like for you? So when I decided to leave Gambia, none of my family members actually agreed to, for me to leave. First of all, my brothers, my dad, no one wanted me to leave the country in the first place. Wow. It was a personal decision I took. And then, um, yeah, so I think when I just finished college, the following week, I leave the country. But even before I left the country, my dad like spoke to me in person, trying to tell me like, hey, People are trying to take this journey to go across the Sahara Desert to go to the through the Mediterranean Sea to make it to Europe. But I want to tell you as a father that don't try it because it doesn't worth it. And anything can happen to you. You can die along the way. And also financially, it's very costly. I cannot support you if you have to take it. And first of all, you are here. You have an education. You are going to school. You have a future here. So don't risk the future you have, you have to think of going to Europe in this way. But then, um, yeah, like like many people back home will do, I just, um, at the time, I believe, for me, the best thing to do is to try the journey to come to Europe, even though my dad didn't agree with me. My brothers wouldn't agree with me because they were born-again Christians. And then for them... My relationship with God is what matters for them and not about me coming to Europe to pursue greener pasture. So they were completely also against it. So before I left, I knew what their stand is when it comes to me, uh, when it comes for me taking this journey to come to Europe, they were completely against it. So then I understand all that, but still for me, it was a dream for me to come to Europe. So then that's why I decided to leave. And I left without saying any word to any of my family members. Whoa. Yeah. So yeah. you were you were in a sense, I mean, you were kind of a prodigal son. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe your family felt like, you know, your brothers could feel like you betrayed them or or they you didn't trust them. Your dad had that long talk with you and still you decided to risk everything. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 So then I left Gambia and then um, I, um, I, I traveled together with a friend of mine. We, so it was not, I didn't leave alone. I left with a friend, but when I was also living together with my, this friend, um, I had one book with me. I brought a Bible with me because wow. That was the only hope I was 
uh, holding tall and working on this journey. So then we left together and then we left from Gambia, we went to Senegal and then from Senegal, we went to Mauritania. And then from, it was when we reached in Mauritania, then we, we ran out of money. So then that was, we didn't even travel that far and then we, we were out of money. So then I called back home. I called my dad and told him that I am in Mauritania with a friend. We are warm. We are embarking on this journey to make it to Libya to try to go through the Mediterranean Sea to make it to Europe. But we are out of money now. We don't have any cars. So then my dad's response was like, at least you are not that far. <laughs> you are just in Mauritania. <laughs> so if you want... You can send you money then for you to come back, but not for you to continue the journey. Then, um, but he said, like, if I was not to come back, then they, no one is going to support me financially. And then he also um, make it clear to me that your brothers, for so you know that they will not um, agree to, with you on this. And he also make it clear to me that, you know, our family is an extended family. And for me to take care of this whole family alone is a big responsibility for me. Talk less of the money that they will require for you on this journey. Like he makes it very clear that he cannot help me financially. The best thing he can do for me is to send me money and then I go back home to Gambia. So when he told me that, I also came to realize that, okay, my family are not going to support me on this journey. My brothers don't agree with me on this journey. So I also really felt, even though they feel disappointed from me, on their side, on me, I also felt disappointed for them because I felt like no one wanted, even, not that they don't want to, but they couldn't, and I get it, but it's still hard and very painful for me to know that I was alone in that, um, at that time, when it comes to like help from back home, they couldn't help me and I get it. Yeah. So then I choose to stay in Mauritania and not to go back home. Wow. Yeah. Did your friends uh, choose to stay also? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I stayed there with my friends. So for the first time in my life, um, I, ha I had to depend on myself for the first time in my life. Like growing up, my brothers, my dad, my siblings have always been there for me. Mm -hmm. But for the first time in my life, I felt like I'm alone aside of my brother, I, of my friend that I was with. And for the first time in my life, I was in a different country. I couldn't speak, uh, spoke their language. I had nowhere to stay. For the first time in my life, I was living on the street. Mm. But I choose not to go back home because um yeah, I still believe that I could make I could make it where I was going to. So then I I choose to live on the street rather than to go back home to my um to my country. Wow. So my friend lived on the street. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Describe what that's like uh to live on the street in a place where you don't know the language. Yeah. So yeah, for the first few days, we were just, uh, we were sleeping on the street, finding a place during the evening where we can just, um, I mean, kind of feel safe, kind of just to go through the night. And then um, like in Gambia, we, 
we always um, had a joke where people always say like in Mauritania, they sell water, water you have to drink. So me coming from Gambia, <laughs> it was funny for me, like people where you had to buy water to drink, you have to buy water to take bath. But in Mauritania, when we were there, it became like real for us because the water we need to take sour, we have to buy it. And then in the evening, just go in the bus to take sour there. So that was how it was. We lived there for three weeks, sleeping on the street and then waking up in the morning and then um, go to the street to look for any kind of job. And then the jobs were more of like construction jobs, like um, mixing the cement and then maybe painting and then um, laying the carros. So just uh, tiles, I mean, just these kinds of jobs. Right. Manpower jobs, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So and so, yeah, three three years. yeah, until we gain some money to be able to pay the transport to take us to our next destination for the journey. Wow. So how much money would you make if you were getting to do one of these kind of odd jobs? Like how much a day would you make? Um. Yeah, it depends because... um. Also at the time, I don't know their money. So they were, I was used to my Gambian money, like which was Dallasy. So the Mauritanian money is called um, uh, Hukia. So they call it Hukia. So they, were pay, they, they pay you like 800 Hukia, 1000 Hukia. So which in Dallasy, yeah, it's not that much. Mm. It's not that much. But that, that was what they were paying us. Per, per day and then sometimes it depends if you have like um if you have two jobs in the day then you can have up to like three thousand okia so those are the kind of money we were making on daily basis until okay. we were able to um, have the money to pay for the transport to move from Mauritania to go to our next destination where we were going to Wow. Okay. So you're, you're working, um, you get enough money to get for the transport. And so where do you, where do you go then? What, what's next? So then from Mauritania, we went to Mali and then Mali, then we had to go across the Sahara desert to go to Algeria. You yeah. have to go across. So back up. Yeah, how did you get Sahara Desert? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear all about that. But so, uh, what was the transport from? I I don't know my geography over there at all. So, uh, in fact, I don't even know that I know the one country that you're talking about or the one city. But um, you're you're going from so you go from Gambia to what what place? So from it's from Gambia to Senegal, from Senegal to oh. Mauritania. Okay, okay, all right. From Mauritania, then to Mali, and then from Mali to, um, we had to go across the Sahara to go to Algeria. Okay, so tell us about going across the Sahara Desert. That sounds crazy. Yeah, it does, yeah. Yeah. So when we were going to, um, at the time we we went to uh, Mali in Gawa, that was like... um, the the border between Algeria and not the border but the last country before you go across the Sahara Desert. So we bought the um, we paid the people who normally transport people across the Sahara, and then it was a pickup um um 
Toyota pickup, I don't know if, if the word makes sense to you. What is it? A pickup is more of like it has um, a carrier behind where like people can just sit, but it doesn't have any cover. Like a truck. As yeah, in... a mini truck. Yeah, yeah pickup. Yeah yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was um, the means of transport that we use. But those are also the type of vehicles people were using to go through the, to go across the Tram Sahara Desert. So when we went to um, in Mali, and then in this truck to go across the Sahara, it took us uh, like four days in total to go through the Sahara Desert. So wow. then the first day, yeah. So the first day we went, um, we ran the whole day, the driver and the truck was full with people who were all embarking on the same journey. But also at this time, there was also a um, fight going on between the rebels in, in, the, in Mali, like a fight was going on between the rebels in Gao. And then there was also um, um, a fight also between, there's a group of um, rebels in the Sahara, they are called Tuaregs. They are more like um, desert um, people who just... We are fighting for the desert, believing that it belongs to them. And whilst the others, like the Algerian government, also believe like the desert belongs to them, and the Malian desert uh, government also believe that that area also of the desert belongs to them because of it's just political um, mm-hmm. um, affiliation was going on in that area at the time. So there was chaos and tensions. The yeah. desert in this in general was not safe at the time, so we had to go through that. And wow. we knew that we, there is a possibility also to encounter rebels along the way as well. So then in our first day, we ran the whole day, the whole night, everything was fine. And then the second day, um, we, whilst we were in the desert, our car had a problem. Mm. So then we were in the middle of the desert, the car broke, and then it took us some time before it was fixed. But after fixing the car, we ran out of fuel. Mm. So we ran for a couple of minutes or maybe hours, I would say, then our fuel, we ran out of fuel in the middle of nowhere on the second day in the desert. So that day, like, the desert was very hot. Everywhere you see is just empty space of land, very windy, wind coming from every place. And no one had, like, there was no shade you could find just to um be able to cool your head down or any or something like that so the only place people were able to go to was under the truck and then under the truck as well if you are lucky you have an okay space just to be able to cool your head down so then when our fuel when we were out of fuel and we were in the middle of nowhere we were all scared we were all afraid yeah, for the first time when we were in the desert, I felt like, okay, like this is it. Yeah. So me and my friend, we, we were just talking like still the memories of our families back home telling us like, you should not take this journey. Mm-hmm. So then we all lose hope. And now we were thinking like, what is going to happen next? For how long are we going to be there? And like, we don't even know what is going to happen to us at that point. All we see is we don't have any solution for now. We don't know what to, what is going to happen. 
and then yeah everyone was afraid everyone was scared so we stayed there the whole day until the next day out of nowhere came like un soldiers united nations uh, united nations soldiers were patrolling in the desert because they were trying to make it was um soldiers of peacekeeper peacekeeping soldiers because they were patrolling in that area to be able to um keep the peace between these three different um groups of people i mentioned to you the tuaregs the rebels in the desert then the algerian forces and the malian soldiers as well to be able to maintain peace in those areas so they found us in the middle of the desert wow okay yeah can i ask you a question real quick how many people were you traveling with at that point i mean i know it's your friend but in the pickup truck are there eight people four people 12 people how many people are we talking yeah, i don't about? know exactly yeah. how much in total but i can estimate between 25 to 30 people okay yeah. that's that's a lot of people and at times yeah. you're under the truck just trying yeah. to find some relief yeah. from the heat yeah. Okay. All right. Go on then. So the United Nations soldiers come and what happens? Yeah. So when they came, they were the ones who helped us with um with fuel for our vehicle. Okay. Yeah. When they helped us with fuel and they also helped us with water because we, at the time, most of us, our water is already finished. So right. then they helped us with all those things. And then um that was how we were able to continue on our journey. Yeah, and you thought you were going to die. You thought this is it. Yeah. Before they because came. Then we, not only me, but everyone who was there. You just right. sit and then, like just watch the sky and then the wind coming from everywhere. Like I lost hope for the first time and I was just thinking of my family and some of the words my um, family members were telling me about the journey. Right. Yeah. Wow. Me and okay. my friend both thought that was it. Right. Okay. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So go on. So what happens next? So then when the UN soldiers found us and then, um, yeah. And then they helped us with the, with fuel and water and then they left. So then we continued on our journey. Okay. But immediately they left, we ran for a couple of hours again. Then we encountered the rebels in the desert. Those were the Tuaregs who are living in the middle of the desert. Oh my gosh. So just a couple hours later? Yeah. So when you, you know, these United Nations soldiers give you water and fuel, I mean, you go from feeling like you're about to die to, okay, we're going to be okay. And then just a couple hours later, um, describe how they, I mean, what, what happens? So first of all, um, we were in the in the mini truck, and then it was some um, someone with a motorbike who was running towards us and giving making a signal to our driver, asking him to stop. And then when the driver stopped, then out of nowhere came also other small mini trucks in the desert surrounding us, and then they asked us all to get from um off the truck, and then they make us to sit down on the um. Yeah, on the ground, having our backs on our between our legs, and they put on in lines. <laughs> yeah, with their guns, all different kinds of guns they were having. So we were all scared, and and then um yeah, so then they then they will call us one by one, and then they will ask you to open your back, and then whatsoever they needed from your back, 
telephone, shoes, clothes, food, anything they, they see in your bag that they like, they take it. Wow. So then, yeah, but more with money as well. And then, oh but gosh. this was also going on and the the, the human trafficking um, system was already, a lot of people have gone through it in that way before us. So then these rebels also, they have been doing all these kinds of things even before us. So when they found us, it was also another um, opportunity just for them to rob us and take whatever they needed from us. And they search us. They will also like remove all your clothes naked as well and search every pocket of your bag, of your trouser, like anything possible that you can hide any important thing, they will try to search it and take it all. And if you refuse, they can kill you as well. But for us, they didn't kill anyone at, because we all tried to give them whatever they needed from us. And we were all scared as well. Right. Yeah. So yeah. what did they take from you? What did you lose that day? So for me, actually, they didn't take anything from me because luckily I was able to hide my money in a place and my phone in a place that they couldn't found it. But from my friend, they took his phone from him. Mm. Yeah, they took his phone, but not his money as well. So some, if they find it, they take it. Right. Where did you, where did you hide it? Like, how did you know to hide it? Like you just, and where, where could you hide it? Yeah, because before you go to the desert, you already know that this is, you expect these things. <laughs> okay, right. Right. Because you expect to, to encounter it, you also prepare yourself for it. Yeah. So for me, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> so I was having a bag which has like um like a backpack, is that what a backpack like this? Yeah. So like a backpack like this. Yeah. So in my backpack, so I had a small pocket here in front of the backpack here. So I put my phone here. So then if you open the backpack, this part just go right on the ground. So then they didn't saw the <laughs> <laughs> So they were more interested in the inside stuff uh, rather than the things outside of the bag. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that I put my phone in. And then for my money, I... <laughs> <laughs> I love that this... <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, but yeah, that is why we are making the video. <laughs> so for my money, I wrap, I wrap my money and then tie it with um with an elastic, mm. and then I was having like um a body cream, body cream mm. that I um you know apply on my skin. So then there's this body cream is more of like ideal body skin that has like it's it has the shape of like this. But it's um it's not visible, so it's full yeah. of um cream in it. Uh -huh. So then I just rough, I just try to um force the money in it. Yeah, into so, the cream. Yeah, yeah inside yeah, the yeah. cream. <laughs> yeah. So then when they took the cream, they just open it and then um, uh, yeah, squeeze it, and then it's just cream that came out. But in it was the money. So uh -huh. then they just throw it to me, uh -huh. and then I pick it, and then I took it. So that was how I was able to um escape with my with my money and my phone from there right yeah. right and your friend you said they took his phone but not his cash okay not the cash because we joined our cash together and we put it in the cream 
Okay. And one he had on himself, and then the mine also I had on my own. Yeah. Right. Okay. Wow. So two hours after thinking or three hours after thinking you're going to die. Now you're with these soldiers, you know, you can die again. Yeah. Um, and then how does that kind of end? So fortunately you were smart and hid your phone, hid the cash. Yeah. And then do they just leave? I mean, no, they don't They oh. beat because they know that you have something with you. If you don't have money with you, you will not go in this journey. So they beat you, they threaten you to try um, to intimidate you so that you can bring out the money wherever you are hiding it and give it to them. And if you don't bring out anything, they will just, they will keep on beating you like that. Yeah. So for, for us, what we did is we had most of our money and we just had like maybe, they call it um, Sandy, uh, Sanfra. So it's more of like um, Senegalese, I'm sorry, um, Malian Sefa. The money is called Sefa. So that was what we had with us. So when they came and they wanted to beat us, they searched our pockets. That was all they found with us. And they were like, where is the order? Then we told them that we didn't have any other thing. That is what we paid for transport for them to bring us across. So that is what they took from us. But of course, they will give you some losses because they just have to give you because if you don't have money yeah but they beat us but a little bit not that much compared to others who don't really give them anything yeah wow but if you don't have anything they beat you yeah, yeah. because they 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 know basically you're you have to be hiding money yeah, somewhere it's obvious yeah because the the journey requires a lot of money yeah so then they pull up they pull your truck yeah. over yeah. and then some people have money and some don't but they know you you have to exactly okay so yeah. then there yeah yeah wow. and it also depends on in which country you are coming from like for us because we are coming from gambia mm. at the time we were going through the sahara there was um money transfer they call it in the french speaking countries um orange orange money something like that where like then you can make a, a instant money mm. transfer Okay, but we coming from Gambia, we don't have that. And, okay. But how do they know that yeah. by taking your ID cards from you? Okay, mm. so if you show them uh, your ID card and they know you are from Mali, uh -huh. then they know that okay, if you don't have the money here, you will send it through Orange Money. Uh -huh. So and then, then you, they can get it. So exactly. even Senegal, also, also Senegal, but yeah. not Gambia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy. Yeah. Okay, that is crazy. So some of those people, I mean, in that group, some of you are from Gambia, but others from Senegal and the other countries is what yeah, you're Yeah, so Gambia is just the two of us, and then okay. the others are Senegal, Mali, and other countries, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And so, but they did beat you some. They gave you some lashes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is just, you expect that. That is That was just um, um, something that you had to go through because you know that these are rebels and they had to do it that way to get what they want. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. All right. David, do you have any other questions about like that? That's crazy. No, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And I, I have to say, I, I mean, I, I've heard Henry's testimony a couple of times, but every time it, it's just... <laughs> It's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's uh, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Keep, keep going. Yeah. 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 So, so they, then, they keep you for how long or they stay with you? What, what happens with the soldiers? They, 
the UN soldiers are gone now. The rebels. Oh, after- yeah. I'm sorry. The rebels is who I'm asking about. Yeah, the rebels. Yeah. So then, after they take all these things, yeah. then they let us go. Okay. And they left us and they went, so we continued on our journey. So that was like the third day. But then we came to a point like our our water and everything got finished because they also take it from us on that oh moment. Took all those things and our the water you just got yeah. a couple hours before. Yeah. 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 Okay. So then yeah. everyone was thirsty again and we were all like, Mm. Yeah, we started suffering again because we didn't have water and we were all thirsty. So then what happened is um, in the middle of the desert on the third day, then we came and found a, a small like pond in the, in, the, in the middle of the desert, but it was very, very dirty pond. It is where like the people who are living in desert, the Tuaregs, normally feed or give water for their animals. Like they had camels, they also have horses and sheep, of course. So that is where they drink from. So that was also from the same water mm. we also drank from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, the water was just yeah. It was very dirty water and. You can die from it. You can feel very sick from it. But right. that was the water we drank from on that third day. And then we continued on the journey. Wow. And then when we made it like now finally, almost to make it in the Algerian border, then another rebel troop. We encounter oh another gosh. different rebel troop again. Mm-hmm. So those people, when they catch us, then already most of the people don't have any money with them because of the first group. Yeah. Right. So this second one, they had also a camp, a rebel camp in the middle of the desert there. Mm. So they brought us to that rebel uh, to their camp. So when they brought us there, they also have connections. They have people that they are doing the trade with who are living in the border in Algeria. So then they communicated those people and then they gave us to those people. What? So when they gave us to those people, those people paid them money. So like they, the people they are giving us to, they are selling us to those people without us realizing that they are selling us. Mm-hmm. And those wow. people paid them the money. Wait, so explain it. Who is selling to who? The rebel is selling us to uh-huh. the human traffickers uh-huh. who are uh-huh. living in the border in okay. Algeria called Timiami. Okay. That is the name of the border. So then, but without us realizing, yeah, yeah. me coming from like, yeah, I've never in my life imagined like human beings can be sold as, as a commodity, as a, as a, as an, so for me, it was, yeah, so that is why after they sold us, the person whom they sold us to, for me as a Gambian, that person came to me and spoke to me in a language that is very familiar with me because he was a Senegalese. He spoke to me, Wolof, and he told me, like, I'm bringing you to a place which I will help you for you to go to the next place you are going to. So I was, then I felt very relieved again, and I felt very happy that, okay, now I'm from, I am from the hands of the rebels. Now I'm in the Senegalese passing. I feel more safe and more at peace now. Hmm. But then that person also brought me to his compound, me and my friend, Mm -hmm. together with other people as well. So when he brought us to his compound, he put us in a very dark room. 
And wow. then, so when that happened, we, we, then we started to think like, then what's going on? Why is he putting us in this dark room? And then he came with a phone, with a telephone telling us that call your families back home and tell them that they need to give this amount of money to me because I just rescued you guys from the rebels. Then for me, it was, I find it hard to believe him actually, because then I told him like, but you didn't buy me. What do you mean I have to pay you? Then he became vexed all of a sudden like, don't you know that I get you from the rebels? Don't you know that I buy you? If you don't want to cooperate with me, I'll send, send you back there. But still, it doesn't really make any sense to me. Then I understand that, okay, actually, we are being played here now. Then I started to realize the situation we were in now. I know that, okay, this is actually human trafficking. And it's what I heard about the journey before I left. So then um, now for me, I knew like back home, I don't have any, my parents are not going to pay for me. My dad make it clear for me before right. I left with me. And then my brothers as well, I know they were not going to compromise their faith for anything. So then I, then I know that I'm in a mess. Then I know yeah. that, okay, now this is really, a, um, this is a big deal now as I didn't even expect, expect it. So um, he gave me the phone. I, I called my dad anyways, even though I was not expecting anything from him, but I still called him. Then when I called my dad, I explained the situation to him. I told him that this is, we are in this country in Algeria in a place called Timiawi, but there's someone, we are being traded by the rebels, the human trafficker, and that human trafficker is asking us for this certain amount of money. If not, he's not going to release us. And then I explained that to my dad and my dad told me like, I told him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He told me that I told you, I understand this is what is happening in that place. And that was why I never wanted you to take this journey to go to Europe. It doesn't want it. And you wouldn't listen to me. Then my dad told me that I know your brothers will not agree to you, but try and call them and see if they can help you. Then um, then he hung off the phone and then I, then I know that, okay, now again, I was just alone with my friend, but still in this, in this, at this time, it felt like I'm alone and yeah. And I did not know who else to call. My brothers, I know they don't compromise with their faith. Why? Because even when I was back home in Gambia, because of their faith, my dad at some point disowned them because they refused to do a traditional cultural thing, which was very related to idol worshiping, which was against their faith. Oh. So for me, it was like, I know where they stand when it comes to their faith with God. So I didn't call them. So I called one of my sister. So then my sister, me and her, we speak a, a language which is similar to the, like we speak in Wolof or we communicate in Wolof. And then the person, the human trafficker who, under whom I was at the time also is from Senegal and understand the same language. So luckily when I called my sister, yeah. 
he um he took the he made the phone to go on loudspeaker for him to hear like my communication what i was talking about with my sister mm-hmm. so then when i told my sister in wall of that this is what i'm going through that i am being kidnapped by human traffickers and i'm put in a in a dark room and they are asking me for this amount of money and then my st- sister got scared and then she started shouting and crying over the phone mm. and started to communicate to me in Wolof, which the guy also understood, telling me that, tell them not to touch you. We are going to pay the money. How, 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 however much amount they ask, we will pay it. Just let them not touch you. We are going to pay the money. But for me, I understand that my sister was scared but I know she doesn't have the money they were asking for. <laughs> you knew, yeah. I knew. <laughs> so then my sister was hoping that maybe my dad would pay it without, but I know that I already communicated right. with my dad. <laughs> right. And she was just shouting out of panic. And the guy had that. And then the guy um, had hope that, okay, your family are going to pay your money for you. Just like that. Wow. And then he me out of the dungeon, out of the dark room, and then he brought me from the dark room and brought me outside to the people. Like, if you pay, they bring you from the dark room and live in an open space where you can have um, fresh air and build with the other people. So when he brought me from the dark room, I met other guys who have been there already for a longer period of time. And then... um. I asked them like for how long have they been there? And then they some said seven months, some said nine months. And just because they didn't pay, some of them paid half, some of them paid even three quarters of their money, but he wouldn't let them go because they didn't finish, they didn't pay everything in full, the whole money in full. So I told them that. So that is why they were there. Then I knew, like, okay, for me, then my case is even different. Right. Because I knew even a half of what they were asking for, I don't have it. Even a quarter, my parents were not going to pay it. I knew that. Mm-hmm. So when they told me that, then I was, yeah, I, I was just, I did not know what to do. Yeah. 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 So I started to think, what is next then? If... My if my money doesn't come in two or three days time, what is he going to do to me? And I was not expecting any money either to come. Right. So then um, I asked the guys like, how are they surviving there? How is living there looks like? So then they started. They explained to me like, if you pay like half or three quarter of your money, then the guys leave you to go out to look for work, so that you'll be able to complete the other payment. Okay. So most of them already have the freedom to go out to go and look for job, hoping that when they make more money, then they can pay and then pay him in full, and then he will transport them, uh, transfer them, or transport them to the next destination they are supposed to go to. So then, but if you don't pay anything, you don't have that freedom of even going outside because then you will try to run away because you right. don't. Pay anything. So then I knew that okay. If this if these guys are still here in this situation, what about me? So then what I decided to do is um I called another brother of mine again back home in Gambia. So then I told him, then with him I speak also a different language with him. 
I told him like, this is my situation. I explained to him, he is also a born again Christian. I told him that this is what I'm going through, but then I'll need your help. I need this amount of money they charge me. Then he told me that, Henry, actually, I don't agree with you living in the first place the way you did. You know you didn't, and you know this is not godly. But then um, he told me that, but tell them to give you um, the bank details. So he told me he had some money for me, but out of 10, it's more of like a quarter he said he had. Then I told him that, yes, that would be good because I was so desperate. So um, so then I made a, an agreement with my brother in Gambia that, okay, I will take the bank account from this guy and I will give and I will send it to you. And then you will send him a text to tell him that you will send the money to him tomorrow. And then I will try and escape today. And then if I make it, then you will hear from me tomorrow. But if I don't also make it, then you will not hear from me. So I had that agreement with him. So then I gave, um, I took wow. the account, yeah. I took the account from the guys and then sent it to my brother and then told my brother that don't put any money in this account until you hear from me anyway. So that was the arrangement I had with him. So then I told the guy that my brother will now send you the money by tomorrow. So then he asked me to go and take shower and give me some, like make me feel more relaxed and more peace. Mm -hmm. But for me inside, I knew like, if this doesn't work, I'm in a big mess. I also know all about that. So then the next thing I did is I asked the guys who were living there like, Okay, if in, uh, for example, if you happens to go out from here, where is the garage? Which direction would you can you go to? Because when they were bringing us there, they um we, we didn't see outside. We had no idea of where we were. All we knew is we just find ourselves in a compound, and that's all. We don't know which direction to go to once we are out of the compound. Yeah. So then the guys told me like. If you are planning to escape, don't even try of it because then they explained to me like some other guys tried it at some point, but then they caught them and then they had to bring them to the rebels and then um um like beat them there. So then they explained to me like don't try it. If even if your people don't have the money, it's it's better you just stay here rather than trying to escape because if they catch you, yeah, that's even worse. Okay. Yeah. So then um, I also understood that, but still they explained to me like what outside looks like, like if in case you're outside, this is how you should go. And this is the way that will lead you to the market. Then um, I also, um, wow. also learned that from them. So then still I was with my friend. So my friend, he, for him, luckily he has some of his family members are in abroad. So he called his family members and then um, his family members promised to him that they are going to um, yeah, pay his um, ransom for him. So then I told him that, well, for me, I'll try to escape tonight. But before wow. that, I told him like, I wanted to go with him for the both of us to try and escape that night. But he told me that his family members agreed to pay his um, fee for him. So then um it wouldn't make sense for him 
right. to make that big. So, yeah. but still, I told him that well, for me, I will try and make I'm, I'll try and make the move because that was the only way I can try to um help myself out because I know back home my families cannot support me financially. Right. Yeah. So that very night, as we were discussing on that, then came a fight between the rebels and the Algerian soldiers again, that very night even. Then there was gunfire and there was shooting going on. And then wow. my friend again tried to warn me like, hey, look, you see, this is what is happening outside. You cannot, don't think of making this move because you don't even know any place. You don't know any person here. You don't even have enough money. And this fighting that is going on, they can shoot you, anything can happen to you. But I actually feel like the best chance for me was just to make, um, was just to try and escape. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe this is a spot. This is like a cliffhanger. Maybe, uh, maybe this is a good spot to take uh, one of our breaks and okay. be able to come right back to this because you've got us just completely, <laughs> you know, waiting to see what happens. Um, does that sound good to you guys? What do you think? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I will hit pause on this. Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 